When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. Warnings are for coffee and contemplation. Coffee and contemplation. Drink the coffee, it'll make you feel better. Sir, do you realize that you're not drinking regular coffee, but Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystals? What? Picks you up, calms you down, it's the lifeblood that drives the dreams of champions. Now he's been down in the basement drinking coffee for about the last four hours, and he should be all ready to go. I'll, I'll call him up. Welcome to College Football Monday, a Sons of Saturday live show. I'm your host, Pete B., and this is episode two of College Football Monday. In this episode, I'm going to go over everything that happened in week one. Most importantly, the Hokies scoring a convincing victory over Old Dominion. I was pumped about that, but I'm going to hold off on some of my commentary until I have our guests come on the show. Kyle Bailey, you might know him from from down in Charlotte. He's going to be joining the show. I want to wait to talk about the tech game with him. We're going to go over what happened in Carolina over the weekend uh, down at Bank of America Stadium. But for right now, uh, I want you guys to make sure to hop in the chat and subscribe. Make sure you like the video if you're here with me hanging out on Monday morning. I'm here in the basement. This is the Man Cave, Man Cave Mondays, as it were. And uh, I appreciate all you guys who are going to sign on today and check out the show because this is still a new thing we're figuring out with Sons of Saturday. It will get posted to the podcast feed later in the day. But for now, if you want to hang out with me on this holiday Monday, you got to be here live. So I appreciate if you're here. Let's get into week one and and what we saw on Thursday night because that kicked off the weekend. The big game everyone was checking out was Utah against Florida. It was was a pretty environment. Uh, And early on, it, it looked like Utah was going to be struggling because they were playing this two quarterback system, but Cam rising on the sideline, cheering him on Barnes was pretty spectacular. He really shined throwing the football. Johnson was more of the runner of that dual threat. What people were really talking about was Graham Mertz because he threw that interception and the commentary was, this is the same guy we knew from Florida or knew, knew from Wisconsin. Now that he's at Florida and he threw for 300 some yards but they dropped him back so many times. The protection wasn't great. He might have held on to the ball a little too much. And I think a lot of Wisconsin fans were doing that shade and Freud, watching Graham Ertz play. He didn't play terrible, but he took five sacks. And ultimately, Florida just isn't there yet. They got a long way to go. And Utah, we saw what they did last year. We've seen them for well over a decade of how they put their football teams together. And most everyone I felt feel like knew Utah was going to win. The Cam Rising thing threw a little bit of a wrinkle into it, but they got some talent there at the quarterback position, and they're going to be all right, even if he can't come back in the next couple of weeks. The story of the weekend, though, was Colorado and Coach Prime, as much as some people might not like it. 45-42, Colorado took down TCU, a one-win team a year ago, beats the national runner-up. I, I really can't believe it. I am shocked. You know, people out there were saying they're going to be competitive and I did not believe Colorado would be this good because of the lines of scrimmage. I didn't think that they would be able to build up those lines as quickly. They might've had to take some, some second rate transfer, particularly on the offensive and defensive line. Well, 
it didn't seem to matter. And in fact, from what I was watching, they were getting pretty good push on the offensive line. And what an insane thing Dion has done in one offseason to completely overhaul a roster that quickly. 80-some players coming in. His son, Shador, the, the quarterback, he was sensational. 510 yards, a four touchdowns, a 90.6 QBR. The kid is unbelievable. And obviously, we know him and Travis Hunter should have never been at Jackson State. They Travis Hunter was the best recruit in the country. He was always destined to be a P5 player. And he was crazy. Played both ways, had 11 receptions, 119 yards, missed a couple what could have been touchdowns, which is something Dion mentioned in the, the mid-game interview, and an interception on defense. If he had, as Dion said, if he had caught some of those TDs, he would be the heavy favorite for the Heisman. He still might be the favorite for the Heisman right now. Because of the attention Colorado is going to get, I don't see why one of those guys on that team couldn't win it, except for the fact that the team, despite beating TCU, might not be enough in the Pac-12 title hunt for one of them to win it. But nevertheless, it was a really impressive performance. Dylan Edwards was amazing too. Over 150 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns for him. The only downside of Colorado winning is that the hype machine and the coverage machine, which is already way overdone. If you were watching game day or any of the coverage before the Colorado game, it was already out of control. And now they beat TCU just went to the national title. So it's about to go way into overdrive and a whole new level. So, but seriously, them being this good changes the math in the PAC 12. You think about Oregon, Washington, uh, who, who are the other Utah? This team is good enough. It seems to get one of those teams to get maybe more than one of those teams. And that could that could really hurt this conference chances of getting a team into the playoff. The fact that Colorado is this good. And I already told you last week that USC's defense concerned me. Well, this is just another team to add to the mix that has one heck of an offense. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the Pac-12. Extremely competitive conference. What And add, add Shador Sanders to that list of quarterbacks in the conference. Colorado moved up 31 spots in the FPI. And honestly, that probably wasn't enough because they're still sitting at 71. This is likely not the 71st best team in the country. They're, they're pretty good. And they're probably going to knock off one of those four to five teams. I'll throw Oregon state in there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to mess with the playoff chances for this conference. And, and I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's fun as hell. It, Dion can be a little abrasive, uh, a little brash as we know, but Man, that was that was exciting and it was it was wild to watch. Last night, and I'll, I'll go to this before I go to some of the other games. We had the Florida State LSU matchup, another one everyone was looking forward to, and it was tight early. I, I had made a comment like, "Wow, this this Florida State offense looks amazing," and then they did nothing for a long time. FSU uh, struggled in the run game. LSU was getting good pressure, and that second half. We saw after Florida State stopped stepping on their own, you know what, and getting the penalties because there were a lot of penalties, a lot of targeting reviews, which is something I'll talk about when we get to, to Virginia Tech's coverage. But the Knowles finally put something together and took a lead in that third quarter. Got a huge interception to start the fourth quarter when neighbors fell down. 
And that led to another TD. They took a 14-point lead. Bell got a couple touchdowns, and it was over. It, it happened quick. And that's something we talked about with Spencer Hall when we had him on the 2D pod. Like, that Florida State offense, they keep coming and coming and coming. So you can hold them down for a little bit. You can slow them down. But ultimately, we saw the power it has late in that game. And Jordan Travis, oh my gosh, he is unbelievable. 74% completion, four touchdowns, 342 yards, a 203 passer rating, and an over 90 QBR. The, the guy is so good and so good on the move. That first, The first drive they had where they scored that touchdown, he just was outside of the pocket making things happen every play. And the receivers, Coleman, Wilson, they both went over 100 yards. Coleman had three touchdowns. That's the transfer. That kid is so good. The offense is lethal. On the other side, Jalen Daniels, it was a little disappointing. He was off target a lot. The stats looked significantly better because of that long touchdown in garbage time. But one touchdown, one interception, he ran the ball okay, but just not a good performance from Jalen Daniels. And that one jump he made over the line of scrimmage or when he was trying to get through the pile and then just got driven into the turf. Don't do that. <laughs> that's not, that's not what you want to do, man. It's a long season. Don't be jumping over the pile, the middle of the field. I don't know what you're doing there, but impressive win by FSU. And I, my playoff pick for them and my ACC champion pick of them is looking much, much better today. So I'm grateful for that. Let's get to some of the other games. Tennessee stomped UVA. I don't think any of the Tech fans were too surprised about that one. UVA's offensive line had problems all day. Musket wasn't good. I, and I know some of that's contributed by the offensive line, but a 10.9 QBR for Tony Musket, one of the worst of the weekend. It, it's it's going to be a long season there. It, it really is going to be a long season for UVA. And they were hanging, they were trying, and then Tennessee just, just took over and, and Milton looked good. You know, that was the question because his accuracy was something that had struggled before. And then Hendon Hooker took over, but I think Milton is going to have a strong year for them, but with them, you have to take into account UVA. UVA might be really, really bad. They are six point underdogs to JMU this upcoming weekend. So Tennessee, they did what they needed to do, but I don't know if this is going to be, you know, what, a great Tennessee team or not. I still think last year was a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Uh, West Virginia, Penn state, pretty much exactly what I expected. Penn state won by three TDs. We saw Drew Aller for the first time, 325 yards. Nice start for him. Ohio state. I wanted to get to them just because they didn't look dominant. Just a 20 point win against Indiana. I know 20 point wins, you know, you shouldn't be too upset about it, but for what we're used to seeing them doing in these early season games when they take on inferior teams, not, not strong by Ohio State. So we'll see what happens with them. No touchdowns for McCord, one interception. Marvin Harrison Jr., my like kind of flyer value Heisman play, just two catches for 18 yards, really terrible on third down for the Buckeyes. I don't know. Not a strong performance. Not a not a strong opening salvo by by Ohio State. Washington, on the other hand, really strong. Put away Boise State pretty easily, fifty six to nineteen. Penix was awesome, four hundred and fifty yards, five touchdowns for Penix. He's moving up the Heisman boards for sure. Wyoming beat Texas Tech in double overtime. 
I know it's kind of a random one, but I wanted to bring it up. Going to G5 stadiums week one, not smart. Not something you really want to do. We learned it last year. Texas Tech just learned it in double overtime in Wyoming. That's it. Put your head in the lion's mouth. It's it never goes well. That's 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 my statement on that. College Football Monday is brought to you by Compass Coffee with 16 locations in DC and Northern VA. Compass is quickly becoming the go-to cup of joe in our nation's capital. The guys that started this, they were two Marines and they wanted to come up with this coffee that points you in the right direction every day, kind of like a compass. And so right now they're offering our listeners 20% off their first order using code 2DVT. So go to their site or download the Compass app. they got an awesome app and load up your cart. And even if you don't live near DC, they will ship you coffee right to your door. And so use the code 2DVT, you'll get 20% off your order. Compass coffee, great coffee, doesn't have to be complicated. Let's move on to the ACC stuff because there was a couple things I wanted to make a note of. GT Louisville, that was on, I think that was Thursday or Friday night. Really competitive game. GT looked the way they did at the end of last year. Like Brent Key turned that team around. They beat three nine-win teams at the end of last season, and they looked strong to start this season. They came out firing, scored 28 in the second quarter. Haynes King looked solid until the crushing fumble later in the game. And Louisville, to their credit, made, made the halftime adjustments. Georgia Tech couldn't score in the second half. Louisville finished strong. They ended up winning. 39-35, yes, GT did get a touchdown later. But Louisville, neither of those teams was overly impressive. I think that's what my my takeaway was. GT, I think they're better than that bottom tier of Boston College, which lost to NIU. They look really bad. But, yes, I think GT, Louisville, they're, they can be had. And we play Louisville later in the year. The Tech does, so we'll see what happens there. NC State struggled with UConn. Not sure um, the Armstrong thing is going to be as good, quite as good as I thought. I'm going to add my guest here. Hold on just one second. Yo, KB, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's up, brother? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Let me get let me get your intro here. Uh, you might know Kyle. He's the host down uh, Kyle Bailey Show, WFNZ in Charlotte. Yep. And most importantly, he's a Hokie. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate you having me, um, especially after a win like that and Hope Hokie Nation's feeling pretty good about that one. Absolutely, dude. We uh, I want to get to that tech game in a second. I was just going over some of the ACC stuff from this past weekend. NC State struggled a bit with UConn. We saw BC lose, but I still think the ACC came out on the winning side this weekend with Florida State getting the big win last night. And then, of course, UNC taking down South Carolina, which I'm going to ask you some questions about. Uh, do you think this could be a slightly stronger year for the ACC with the quarterback play we have and just from what we've seen in week one? Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about that when I got up this morning. I fell asleep at the tail end of Florida State and uh, LSU and I uh, want to catch the <clears throat> pardon me most of the, most of the fourth quarter here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, I feel pretty good about it. And I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, I, I put um, I laid a little little cash on UConn to cover the 14 and a half a few days ago. Um, (laughs) But I also, if I'm NC State, like if I'm Dave Dorn, I feel pretty good about that game. Um, You know, it's timing stuff, I think, with their offense. Um, Armstrong looked fantastic. And and so I think their defense is pretty salty, too. So I I think they might just be the third best team in the conference when it's all said and done. But we'll we'll find out. But overall, to your point, yeah, I think the ACC just had a really strong couple of days. And um, obviously, they'll win either way tonight. But, uh, you know, I think from the overall conference uh, hierarchy standpoint, you're open for Clemson. But, no, I think you're right. 
that that NC State thing, I mean, that's what I felt before the season. Because of Brandon Armstrong, I, I liked their chances to be competitive in this conference this year, despite losing some of that talent on defense. But and when you go to G5 teams on the road week one, it's dangerous. And that UConn team hasn't been the same UConn. So I'll wait and see on NC State. I wish it was a little bit cleaner for them, but you're right. That's that's a good point. That that's a tough game to win sometimes on the road week one. Let's yeah. get into the Battle of the Carolinas. Duke's Mayo Classic, UNC 31, South Carolina 17. Wasn't pretty even through the first half necessarily, but UNC did score two TDs in the third, and they didn't look back. When I was watching game day, which was cool that they were down there in the Queen City having some fun. Oh, yeah. It's, it sounded like – oh, I lost you. Hold on. It sounded like South Carolina had a lot of fans there. Was that your read on it? Were they taking over the city? Oh yeah, no. They were telling me all week they were going to take over the city. Uh, they were okay. hitting my text. They were hitting my text line. We have a huge game. I'd say here in Charlotte, you know, maybe someone would disagree, but you know, the three biggest out of state fan bases here in Charlotte are, um, you know, South Carolina, Clemson, and Virginia Tech. And so, you know, I, I've got Gamecocks fans left and right all last week saying we're taking over. It's going to be seventy thirty. And I've got some friends at the Charlotte Sports Foundation, and I've talked about this on my show a couple of times where. Um, you know, they actually have a, it's a little bit easier for them to sell tickets to, let's say, regional teams within a day's drive to these games at Charlotte, like Virginia Tech, Tennessee, West Virginia, teams like that. Like fan bases gobble up tickets. But sometimes, you know, with the in-state teams, it's like, oh, it's Charlotte, it's in North Carolina. We've been there before. So there's not as much enthusiasm from the in-state teams. But, you know, for this one, I thought Heels fans showed up well. Um, there's a rowdy crowd. It wasn't quite Clemson, Georgia down here a couple, in, in Uptown a couple of years ago, but um, it was an awesome scene. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, the game day was a lot of fun. And Leggett for South Carolina. I'll start with some of the South Carolina stuff here. He was amazing. Nine receptions yeah. for 178. Rattler went for 353, but no touchdowns. And Drake May, he, he showed a little bit of flaws, but generally very efficient still. British Brooks was good, and the Heels were able to overcome those two turnovers. USC couldn't run the ball, and they finished with negative two rushing yards on the day. Nine sacks for UNC, 16 tackles for loss. Going into the game, I had no faith in the UNC defense. I picked South Carolina to win and cover, but that unit, particularly the rush defense, stepped up. Did that surprise you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, North Carolina, and you know, I say this to the Heels fans here in the area all the time, it's, it just is what it is. I mean, they, there's no legacy of playing great defense at the University of North Carolina. There's not a ton of teams that you could point to in the history of North Carolina outside of some of Mac Brown's last teams in his first stint there um, that could do the kinds of things that we saw the other night. And even that's uncommon. I mean, nine sacks in a game doesn't happen often. So, um, you know, Gene Chizik, I, I still – there were a lot of people really down on Chiswick going into the season, and I felt like it was it had gotten to be a bit much. Um, you know, the one thing Gene Chiswick I do think knows is defensive football, and so given the chance to at least coach some of these guys in, a, in an off season and bring some of them back, I felt like they were going to improve, but I didn't see that coming. And no. so, um, you know, if they can do, you know, half of that consistently, they're going to be, you know, in the conversation all season long to be here in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. That was just impressive. And I think on the other side, um, our buddy Shane Beamer, who uh, you know looked pretty frustrated at times the other night, he he's got some offensive line issues that need to be addressed pretty quickly. And maybe that South Carolina offensive line is just awful. But after watching that defense, they may have a shot at that ACC title game. I I was one that was way down on Chiswick because of the the four and five stars UNC has brought in, and then the disappointment from last year and maybe even the year before of that UNC defense. 
well, maybe some of that talent is finally showing up on the field. Do you think they have a legitimate shot to go to the ACC title game? Oh, yeah. No, I, I do. Um, but after watching Florida State last night, I think everybody is correct in their preseason predictions, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. And I and I did take Florida State to win the conference and I had them in the playoff and I feel better about that today. Uh, but it, it's still we'll, we'll see what Clemson has to say tonight because they, they're they playing right. a tough Duke team. Riley Leonard's a good quarterback. Elko, of course, we know his defensive excellence. What will that team look like? Because a lot of people were staying with the traditional pick of taking Clemson to win the conference. They got a lot to live up to after what FSU just showed us. And so I'm, I'm excited. What do you think is going to happen tonight? See, the thing is, you know, Clemsoning was a thing for a long time. Clemsoning, the phrase has been dead. I, the new, what Clemson does now and what they're known for is showing up when the, the lights are the brightest. Um, yeah. You know, not every time, but nearly every time in the Dabo era since they've taken off. So um, I got a lot of respect for Riley Leonard. Mike Elko did an unbelievable job there last year. And I think they might just do that again. But I think Clemson smokes them tonight. Um, you know, I, I think they come out firing. And they, I think Brandon Streeter. Um, the impact, or excuse me, uh, wow, he, uh, Garrett Riley. I think yes, the impact yes. that he's going to have on this <laughs> offense um, is going to be tremendous. So, you know, I think Clemson wins this game by double digits tonight, but, um, you know, Duke fans might be letting me hear about it in the morning. We'll see. Yeah, I, they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. They, they won nine games. They were way, way better than I thought. They, I mean, if you looked at their talent ratings or where Athlon was putting them, they were like last place in the ACC predicted last year, and they far exceeded that. Yeah. Let's move to VT corner here. 36, 17 and 19 point victory. I'm going to be a bad host, but I, w- I don't want to lead you here. Uh, your reaction straight off the top of that game. Um, there's improved talent on the team that, uh, that much. I think it was evident pretty early on. Well, I take that back. Not that early. Um, but by about midway through the third quarter, I think it became apparent that um, this staff, if nothing else has done a good job of adding ACC caliber talent to this roster Uh, you know there are some places where obviously it's wanting and there's some young guys playing and it's going to take some time but um, you know I I had a chance to sit down with coach Pry about a month ago at ACC media days and catch up and had a really good talk with him and you know both on the air and off the air he felt like they'd gotten better and so I, I think we saw that a couple of nights ago now you know for those of us who were at Virginia Tech or even in my case growing up next door in Christiansburg who saw the height of what Virginia Tech football can be um, you know, we shouldn't delude ourselves into thinking that it's anywhere close to that right now. However, there's much better talent on the field, and they look like a much more competent, cohesive unit on both sides of the ball, even if at times it wasn't great, you know, be it the run defense or run blocking. Um, you know, I, I like the start. You know, you had the juice from the crowd. You got to gather some confidence. This program has to relearn how to win games and, and be a big-time program. So I thought it was a really good first step, and it was – Beautiful to see Blacksburg looking the way it did on TV. I, I was so jealous. I wish I could have been there. Yeah, myself. I'm, I'm with you on that one. The The ACC Network production seemed significantly better than it was a couple of years ago. They oh, made they the, crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they And that video has already got millions and millions of views online. It's uh, It circulates just like all of our Enter Sandman videos do. Grant Wells seemed a little bit amped up early and missed that screen pass right off the bat, missed a couple other passes, took him a bit to settle in. And I really didn't like, and this, and before we get to some of the better stuff, I didn't like the swapping of those QBs early. I mean, we, we heard a little bit about the two QB system before the season started. And basically my worst nightmare of what a two QB system can look like is what they did <laughs> early on in that drive, bringing Grant off the bench to throw that pass on fourth down. He missed the pass, but I'm, 
I don't want to put that too much on him. That was a tough situation, and I'm glad they kind of went away from it as the game went on. I kind of feel like Pry was like, no, nah, we're not doing that anymore. I don't know if that was your read on it. I'm back. I think I lost you there for a second. Oh, that's okay. I just was asking your you read on that two QB system, and do you think Pry put the kibosh on it? I, I, <laughs> um, look, to be fair to everybody involved, after what we saw from Grant Wells last year at times, um, I wanted to know what Kyron Drones could do just like everybody else. I also think that, um, you know, Matt Hasselbeck, who did a tremendous job in that broadcast, I thought, uh, pointed out that, you know, there was that one, there was that series where it felt like Grant needed to do something, accomplish something, or there would have been some real questions like, is it time to give this kid a shot? Or, you know, do we need <clears throat> need to go with drones the rest of the way? But, you know, to, Gr to Grant Wells' credit, he settled in, he settled down, and he made a couple of really big throws, gathered confidence. They let him see it through. And, you know, I, I hope he can continue to do that. He seems like a great kid. He seems like a great young man. Um, and it is frustrating, you're right, sometimes to watch, you know, you, you, the swing pass to the flats doesn't need to be thrown at 100 miles an hour. And I think he knows that better than anybody else, yeah. right? But when it came down to the execution, there, it just it felt like an extension of what we saw last year, <clears throat> pardon me, early in the game. And then he just figured it out. And it wasn't perfect the rest of the way, but he made some beautiful throws. I mean, he dropped a couple of beautiful balls in there down to Ali Jennings. And so, you know, I, I give him credit, you know, keep developing drones behind him. Grant Wells needs to keep getting better. Obviously, things about the defense need to improve. But, you know, if that happens, I think this is a better football team. And that's really all we're asking for, right? And you're right on. And the fact that he was able to overcome those early issues is some that shows growth. Because in the ODU last game, last ODU game last year, we saw him throw pick after pick after pick. It got worse and worse, and he was spiraling. Well, it went the other way this year. So that does show growth. He did get it together. And as you said earlier, the wide receiver additions, the APR addition at the defensive end spot, those were huge. And you could you could say without the portal additions, we might have lost this game. I mean, those, those wide receivers went for 175 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, APR had two sacks. I mean, huge, huge impact from guys that our coaching staff went out and got in the offseason. And I I was so pleased to see all of I mean, it seems like they hit on those guys. Was there anything about the game uh, that that maybe scared you for the rest of the season? Offensive line, defense, what, what were your thoughts on maybe some things that we could have done better? Uh, run blocking, run D. I mean, I think both those things on th those are going to be, I think, the big, big points of emphasis this week. I would imagine, anyway. Um, you know, I think you know part of it was like linebacker fits, gap fits on the defensive side. And, uh, we've seen that the last couple of years at times, but you know, the other night it was particularly acute on a few you know possessions and you know, the quarterback run stuff. I don't know what they expected from Grant Wilson. I didn't expect that. Um, no. You know, we, there wasn't a ton of tape out there from Grant Wilson. So, you know, I, I'm sure they'll look at that and address it accordingly. But, you know, for me, I felt like Tootin could have ran for a buck 50 two nights ago if they could, if the run blocking had been just a bit better. That kid runs so unbelievably hard. And, yeah. you know, his legs are just like a pair of pistons in an 18-wheeler. They don't stop. It, it's unbelievable. So, you know, if they can get better up front, you know, and I don't know. I mean, run blocking, you know, your offensive line coaches describe it. It's all about, uh, you know, want to and obviously technique. But, you know, hopefully they can get better there because there are opportunities in the run game when that kid's got the, the football in his hands. So I'd like to see that kid get better for sure. Yeah, and th that was going to be a struggle because we are bringing along all these freshmen and redshirt freshmen on the offensive line. And I, I do feel like 
the pass blocking was good. I mean, we didn't give up a sack. And so if you're, if I have to pick one, I guess I'll go with that one. But like, I want to see it all come together because last year we struggled in the run game early in the season. We struggled in the pass blocking game late in the season. This year looks like it could be back to the beginning again, but Tootin runs hard. We've got talent on the outside. Ultimately, it was a very positive night. I did want to say that we got to make Holloway that punt returner on every punt. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was awesome. And I was really hoping we were going to put up one more touchdown to make it 40. Maybe probably called off the dogs a little bit because Ronnie's his old buddy. But uh, I would have liked to stick it in that guy's face a little bit <laughs> after watching him on the sidelines all game. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I don't know who it was. I want to say it was one of the guys from Sons of Saturday. Maybe it was Billy Ray, but called him all the way Holloway. And I just, yes, put it yeah. on a T-shirt, put it on a T-shirt, get it selling in the bookstore. I thought it was awesome. Yes. Just four penalties, zero turnovers. That's growth. And we scored more than 30, which is something we couldn't accomplish all of last year. So it was actually since November, 2021. So it easily could have been 40 missed opportunities in the beginning of the game, missed opportunity at the end there or not a miss, but we just didn't want to. Uh, But overall it was good. How are you feeling about the Purdue game next weekend? You know, I, I, honestly, I've got a sense of, I've got a sense of calm about Virginia Tech football that I haven't had in a long time. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going in week by week to see what they look like. Mm-hmm. I don't feel any five, ten years ago, I would have been just, you know, on pins and needles all week. Big game, got to win it. You know, just because. But right now, I just think that if you're looking at this program realistically, and I know there's an urge to win now, and everybody wants to win now. I sure do. I mean, I hope we go to a bowl game and beyond this year, but. Um, I, I'm giving Brent Pry some time to, you know, figure things out in that building. And I, I see some progress already. So, I, you know, going into Purdue, can we make plays? You know, can, can we can we make some ta- – can we tackle a little better, especially around the line of scrimmage? Um, you know, just little things like that because uh, I'm no football coach, but I've been around a lot of them in my career, and they always preach the details and the little things, and they do add up. So, you know, I just want to see them get better, play clean, complimentary football, something that Brent Pry talked about in that press conference a couple of nights ago. And, you know, if they're going to win enough games to get an extra one this year, I think they're going to have to play complimentary football. So we'll see if they can do it. Yeah, and it is a pick em right now. That's the last I checked. This is an even spread. So those little things are going to add up against Purdue. This is a team that just lost to Fresno. Not that Fresno is a terrible team, but it shows that they are susceptible. They got a new coach and we are at home. And so it would be really nice for Brent pride to be able to pull off kind of one of those toss up games of our season and could make the difference in getting to a bowl. And that leads me to my final question for you. And I'll let you go on this holiday Monday. Do you think we're going to a bowl this year? Oh, my heart says yes. So I'll go with that for now. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, I, I you won three games last year. The situation with the roster was terrible. You didn't get the twelfth game for the obvious and tragic reasons, and not that it would have mattered, but you, know, you could have been a four-win football team in a different universe. So, I think they're better. Um, I think they're better in multiple places. And um, you know, until he proves otherwise, I, I believe that Brent Pry is still the right guy for the job. So I'm going to go yes. I, I think they, they go six and six this year, and, and they get a bowl game. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Go relax, go have a barbecue, whatever you're doing today. And uh, I'll see you on Twitter, buddy. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the invitation. Later. All right. That was awesome. Kyle is the man. He's got one of the best voices that uh, in radio that I've ever heard. I love, I love listening to him. So it was really cool of him to join us. Ultimately that game for us was an extremely important win. We're talking about a 19 point victory After the year we just went through, seeing Allie Jennings score two touchdowns, 
at home, that environment, that was what we would want. Before that game started, take away, because early in the game, I'll admit, and I was a victim of it too, you see Grant Wells miss a few passes, you're like, here we go again. This is what it's going to be. I mean, that that wide open screen pass, that, you know, see Ali Jennings running wide open, couldn't hit him. But that was a good night. And Grant's stats, four touchdowns, an 88 QBR, pretty unbelievable. It was his best start from a QBR standpoint since he got to Tech and his third best of his 31 FBS starts of his career. It was a solid night. It was a night we should all be happy about and grateful for because 1-0 is so much better than 0-1. So thank Fontel Mines for going out and get Jennings. Thank whoever, JC maybe, for going out and getting APR because they made the difference. And it was a big victory to kick off this season. I actually wanted to put this slide up real quick for you guys. This is the total QBR. And I'll kind of see if I can get myself smaller for you. Now that's not going to work. Here we go. Number 19, 18. You see that name down there? Grant Wells. This is the, the first week of the season total QBR. And Grant Wells is in the top 20. You'll see Gr- Drake May is number 20. Grant Wells a few spots higher. I know we played ODU. And I know a lot of these other guys played better competition, but QBR is supposedly an opponent-adjusted stat. So these are somewhat regulated, and Grant Wells is sitting on that list right down there at the 18 spot. So I feel good about what happened the other night. I'm going to go into more detail about the Tech game with Robbie on our typical show. That'll be, I think we're going to record Wednesday night, post it Thursday. But nevertheless, I'm very pleased with what I saw out of the Hokies. There were obviously things we can clean up the contain, the the offensive line play, Grant being a little bit more calm and hitting some of those passes. But as me and Kyle just discussed, him being able to settle in and get out of his head a little bit and hit some really nice passes, touchdown passes was was a step in the right direction. I got a couple more notes here, and then I'm going to cut it off for our second episode of College Football Monday here live on the Sons of Saturday channel. Realignment. I know no one wants to talk about it, but we did add three teams to the ACC. Stanford, Cal, and SMU are coming in. NC State seemed like they flipped their vote. So the naysayers were FSU, Clemson, and UNC. So we got enough votes to get them in. It's a very odd move. We talked about with Spencer. Robbie and I have talked about it. It seems reactionary. There's not much more money per school. And the only reason that got done is because the California schools agreed to take less of a share. And SMU agreed to take no share for nine years. (laughs) Nine years. Did they want to be in a power conference or what? Jiminy Christmas. The only reason to be okay with this move, and I said this last week, is because it won't really hurt VT on the field. If you're a VT fan, the only reason to be okay with this is because these teams should be below us in the pecking order if we do what we're supposed to do. If we are the Virginia Tech team that we can be, we should be ahead of a Cal and a Stanford and SMU in the standings. And so in that respect, I'm okay with it. Does it make sense? No. It seems ridiculous to not have added many of the other schools that were available and then wait till they're all picked over and then go after the three teams that are left. And I know the ACC prides themselves on academics and Olympic sports, but in the world of realignment, that is not why anything gets done. It gets done because of football performance and it's just 
strange. So now we've got Wednesday night Hokey Hoops games in Palo Alto, and that is going to be odd. Maybe we'll get Bill Walton, though. So there's that. (laughs) Maybe we'll get Walton on some of the calls. I don't know. This move may be just a like a offensive by the conference to protect if Clemson, FSU, and or UNC all decide to jump. That's what I think it could be. That's something that um, I think Treadmill Horse said it. A couple people have said it, but it could just be to solidify the conference in case teams leave. But if nothing else, right now, going into next year, I do think that this move, adding these three teams, makes us the third best conference. And the reason being, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, they don't really have national title contenders. I know. TCU just played for the national title. But did you watch the game? Did you watch what they just did against Colorado? Think about the other teams in that conference. There's some very good football teams next year. Is there a true national title contender like a Clemson or a Florida State? No, there's not. And we have that. We've got 18 teams. We've got teams like Miami and Virginia Tech, UNC, NC State, teams that can be good, that can show out on a national stage on occasion if they can build their crap back up like us. So I do think that makes the ACC the third best conference next year. I do think in terms of just top to bottom national title contenders, hey, the the ACC's won more natties in the last X amount of years than the Big Ten. I mean, Florida State and Clemson have both won national championships in the last decade. So I I feel okay about it. It's a weird move. It doesn't make sense. And if Florida State and Clemson do decide they want to leave because we angered them with this move, well, we'll take your buyout money and we'll deal with it until we can get out, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a $150 million buyout plus TV rights. I'll take that if you guys want to leave and we'll go from there. Tonight, we got Clemson going to Durham. I'm going to talk a little bit about the games uh, next weekend, and then we'll get you out of here. And Oh, my playoff four is coming up as well. Clemson heads to Durham. I like Kyle, like Clemson to win and win handily. I do think Duke played a little bit over their skis last year. Riley Leonard, there's a lot of tape on him now. We'll see what Dabo and his staff can do. Next weekend is loaded. In addition to VT hosting Purdue, Notre Dame plays NC State down in Raleigh, a territory Sam Hartman is familiar with. Do you remember that? I think the day we played the hurricane game, Notre Dame was playing NC State in its own hurricane game. And even though it was a hurricane, Brian Kelly decided to throw the ball. That's what I remember. It threw the ball a ton that day. I think Notre Dame is also going to throw the ball a ton this upcoming weekend. And it's going to be cool to see what Sam Hartman and Brennan Armstrong do going, going head-to-head there. Ole Miss plays at Tulane. That's a top 25 matchup. That could be really interesting. Old Miss six-point favorites in that one, and Tulane is trying to be that G5 team that crashes the party this year. Texas A&M at Miami. Texas A&M is a five-point favorite right now. Miami looked good the other night. They only played Miami, Ohio, but they looked good, and we'll see if that Bobby Petrino offense, which had Connor Wegman going a bit, uh, how they how they do. Texas at Alabama, that is the big one. Last year, Texas damn near won that game. This year, it's in Bama. Seven-point favorites are the Crimson Tide. That's going to be fun. 
I want to see how that one shakes out. Bama's one of my playoff picks, and that actually is a good time to bring up my playoff four. It has not changed. This is what I had last week, and it's going to stay the same because Florida State did it. They made me look good, and they got that big win, and now they've got a path to the playoff if they can beat Clemson in the ACC title game. They really just have to hold serve. They could even lose to Clemson the first time, but with that LSU win in their back pocket, if they win the conference and only have the one loss, they're going to be in the playoff. That would, that would be my prediction there. Other games this weekend, Iowa at Iowa State. That's always a fun one. App State at UNC. Do you remember how crazy that game was last year? UNC won, won a very a very last-minute victory. They're 15.5-point favorites this, this year after the big win over South Carolina, but they need to be careful coming down off that big win playing App State. Cincy at Pitt, low-key, fun game. Cincinnati moved up way up actually in the FPI after a convincing victory over a lowly team, but Pitt is eight point favorites against Cincinnati. And then JMU at UVA, I mentioned it earlier, UVA six point dogs at home to JMU. I might, I'm, those points seem pretty enticing, but I don't know. Now I'm not going to be betting. I'll, I, I never bet on UVA. I would ever would, but it's interesting. Uh, I think that just about does it. I missed some of my notes on the uh, the other big games. I, I talked about Washington. I wanted to bring up the Bobby Petrino offense because they do seem like they're in full effect already. Wegman had a tremendous QBR. He was actually number one on that list of QBRs I showed earlier. But uh, can't wait for next week. Thank you for joining me live here. I'm going to get out of here in 40 minutes. That's pretty good. Have a great holiday Monday, and I will see you next week.